Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. And welcome to the show, Jane Blasio. Thank you very much. I'm I, uh, very happy to be here. I'm delighted. I'm looking forward looking forward to our conversation because you we spoke a, uh, a while about you, but you're so busy. I know you're, you're full out in your law enforcement and investigations and stuff. So, you know, uh, a great looking forward to talking to you today. And today, listeners, we're going to do something completely different right um so you'll have seen this in the the name of the the, the name of the, the this episode of the podcast this interview we're doing an unashamedly uh christian episode so um we uh when i talked to to jane what six months or so ago we we came up with this title i don't know where it came from it was a joint joint venture whether it was yours um and we're talking about an adoptee's return to Jesus. So Jane is religious. She's a, a Christian. I am I am not, but I'm not anti-Christian. Uh, I, I just figure that we will do something a bit different. I love doing different new formats and uh, test, testing myself and extending myself. And so if you're, if, if this isn't your bike, then, then, then please don't, you know, just turn it off and we'll we'll, we'll be back to a non-christian um episode tomorrow probably um enough waffle anyway um an adoptee's return to jesus what what's that all about can you give us a a, a headline i'm sorry those are my dogs is that gonna be uh, no. we didn't hear them go for okay. it very good so um Huh, my return to Jesus. Well, you know, I um, my story was that, you know, I was adopted out of the Hicks Clinic in, in Georgia, McKaysville, Georgia, and my uh, adoptive parents uh, moved me to Ohio as just a newborn. And uh, my, my adoptive father was an atheist, and my adoptive mother was a woman that didn't feel she was good enough to go to church because she had made some missteps in her youth. Wow. And so I was raised without any type of... Um, we had a Bible in the house, but there was no instruction or, or anything like that. And until I was about maybe six or seven years old, and I had a neighbor that took me to her church, the first church of Nazarene in Akron, Ohio. And uh, I think there the seeds were planted on who Jesus was. And then I grew up and, um, you know, without really going to church or anything like that. And at the age of 21, uh, you know, I graduated graduated from high school and uh, there was just a whole lot of things going on in my life. My adoptive mother had cancer and it was just very ugly battle. And my adoptive father was sick with diabetes and blind. And um, I was trying to make my way in the world and, and just a lot of things going on. And I just dropped to my knees and said, you know, God, if you're there, I don't know who you are, but please, I need to know who you are. If you could just show me, if there is a God, please show me. So then over the next week, I was barraged by things. And when I say supernatural, you know, there's one thing to run into somebody and, and talk about Jesus. And it's one thing to maybe see a sign somewhere or something. I mean, it was every day. It was one thing. Every time I turned around, there was someone talking about Jesus. So there was some type of information. So after about a week of that, um, I had a, a friend from high school that who had recently been born again. And she came in just out of the blue, visited me. In fact, I, I really didn't like her that much. And she came and uh, she told me about Jesus Christ and she gave me the gospel. 
and I, I marinated on it. Um, and then I dropped to my knees and said, okay, you've shown me who you are. I'm yours and I'm going to follow you. And so for about 10 years, um, I was a professing Christian. I thought I had a very strong, um, relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that's what I am. I don't consider myself religious. I consider having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, one that's very real. Um, but then I had the, the story of the Hicks clinic, um, broke in the news media and it went nuts for like a year and a half. And I'd already had a little, a bit of a weak relationship with my, with my marriage. And, um, you know, I was getting barraged by people telling me that they were birth mothers and people tell me they were adoptees and trying to do that. And I was like 31 years old and no real experience. I'd worked as a private investigator up to that point and no experience handling media, no experience handling what came at me in and in what was a perfect storm of, of stress and confusion and anxiety. And so little by little, each day that I was dealing with the Hicks Clinic story, I was walking a little bit further away from God. And over a period of about three years, I finally said, I'm done with my marriage. I'm going to pursue what I wanted to do in my life. And no one's going to tell me what to do. And I felt like my whole life, people kept telling me what to do. And I wasn't living what I wanted to live. And then I left my marriage. And then shortly after that, I didn't want to listen to God telling me what to do. So I walked away from him. And I, um, I walked in what I call wilderness for about 14 years of knowing what was the right way to, to live, but not doing it. Uh, on the outside, I looked like I had the perfect life. I had a great career. I went up promotions. I went up the chain very quickly, um, traveling all over for work and do, just doing what I wanted to do and was very happy in that on the outside. But I would come home at night and there was nothing. I had relationships with people. I was trying to fill a void that wasn't there because I'd walked away from God. And I'd come home to nothing and I would frequently find myself on the floor sobbing because of the pain, because I was lonely and because I knew what I was missing and that was my walk with God. But I couldn't bring myself to come back to him because I felt so ashamed. Um, during that 14 years, I was dealing with the abandonment issues of my adoption or my black market transaction yeah. um, and had no records, was still trying to find birth parents and birth family for not just myself, but my sister, Michelle, who was also bought from the Hicks Clinic. So it was just a, it was just, my life was a mess, but I looked like it was together on the outside. And I was still hearing the Holy Spirit. I was still hearing God say to me, when are you going to come home? You know, when are you going to come home? I have a better life for you. When are you going to stop making those horrible decisions? And, um, couple other things happened in my personal life and in my work life that again, brought me to my knees. And then I said, all right, I've, I've ran from you enough. I've ignored you enough. And I'm so sorry. Can I come home? And uh, over the next probably year, he started to bit by bit, put my life back together for me in, um, in, in ways that are just sometimes unexplainable um, doors opened that had been shut to me that I was trying to get into different programs that were less stressful than what I was doing, you know, at work. And um, 
I started to be able to, to let my guard down and let certain people in my life so that they could help me through the healing process of not just the abandonment issues, but then what had come out of all of the media mess. And I hadn't dealt with my divorce. Um, that's a grieving that I never, I just went right into a career and there was just so much stuff that I had shoved down. And um, he just opened up doors and started me bringing me to places that were um, very healing and brought me back to what Jesus Christ is all about. And that's hope. And that's to know that you have a life, not just here, but you will have an eternal life. Um, and you will never be separated from him if you choose to be with him. And that's what brought my whole life into alignment again. And so I rededicated my life in 2014 and have been walking with him and trying to avoid some of the mistakes I made when I walked away from him and, and not being in his word and not taking time and making making God and I a priority. So so I hope that summed that up. Um, yeah. A lot of life there in a, in a matter of a couple minutes. So, so, um, what does what does healing mean to you? what does healing mean to you? Healing healing is about looking at what you've been through and understanding that that's a circumstance that is not your soul. Healing is being able to say. That was, that's what I went through. I've overcome that. Um, I, I believe that God gives you when you are, when he knits you together, um, you're given an assignment that your life is your assignment. And as you work through life, you make choices on what part of that assignment you're going to keep moving with. And once you come to know who Jesus is, once you accept him, then, then there, everything you do is to is to serve others and that's the healing for me if, if that helps if that helps explain it in a, in a nutshell when you get to a point to where you can serve others and help them move into healing you're fulfilling your assignment and that's healing okay um so i want to take you back to the the, the first pit that you you said because as you say there's a lot there that's an overview so unpacking so so some people would say that um, you, you, use, you use the word circumstance, right? So um, some people would say that um, trauma is an experience, right? So tra trauma is, is something, an event, right? So an event kind of sits with the word, sits with circumstance, right? So, um, I, I, and, but you're drawing a, a you're, you're separating a, our circumstance from our soul. What, what does what does that mean to to you? This world's tough. This world is tough. Um, people have stuff. That's just. I mean, my circumstance of being born at the Hicks Clinic, being a failed abortion, being all these different things. That's tough. But you know what? I can I can show you tens of million people that have it tougher than I do. So it's. But that's but we all have the same the same need, and that is to be loved and be felt to be whole and to be in union with God. And so no matter what I've gone through, no matter what 10 million other people have gone through, we still have 
we, st we still all have the same need. And that is for hope, for love, and to have that unity and to be able to talk to our creator and say, you know, I love you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, have you, so what I, what, where, where I separate stuff, my separation, my delineation is between ourselves and the trauma. So I came up with a, uh, I came up with an, an, an analogy for this a couple of weeks ago to, to make it concrete, right? Because our, our brains can't get their heads around things that aren't things, right? There's nothing, there's nothing to grasp. Yeah. We use the word grasp. To see. To, 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 for, to, to understand, yeah, to, to grasping is like me grasping that mug of tea there. But it's also yeah, I worked in private investigation, you know, and the number one rule of that is if you can't see it, smell it, if I don't have a, a paper trail, then I can't confirm it, you know. So that's that's a hard one to wrap your head around when you're an investigator is that spiritual connection. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Um, and I, that for me is, yeah, we we can't. We can't grasp. We can't grasp non things. So, so God would be a non thing. Like in in my world, like consciousness is a non thing too, or awareness is a non thing. It's not. It's not a thing. And so we can't get our heads. And, and so we can't get a sense of it, right? So, we, like a a, a a sense of God, uh, or a sense of consciousness means well, we can't smell it. We can't touch it. We can't see it. We can't taste it. We can't hear it. Well, maybe we can, right? We, you, there's that little voice in, in in our head that's calling. So, but that's yeah, um, maybe a physical manifestation. But we can't a, a sense of ourselves. If I use the word awareness, we can't get a sense of our awareness because it's not in our it's not in our senses. We can't grasp something. That's why we need metaphors. Right, so metaphors are about yeah, like yeah. like the, the the invisible man is a is a metaphor for metaphors. We can't see stuff that isn't things. The right. the, the invisible man. So you put clothes on him. Yeah, when you put clothes on him, yeah. So and putting the clothes on that's the metaphor. So I came up with this metaphor for um, uh, trauma and us. Uh, and and it was trauma is a is a toxic cocktail of insecurity, anger, fear, and shame, right? But we are the cocktail glass, not its contents, right? So I'm separating who we are from how we feel. We didn't put that trauma in that glass. Oh, we didn't put that trauma in glass. Yeah, we the the mixologist, right? The mixologist did. Oh, did that. Else put that? Yeah, several um, people put that in there. Yeah, several people put put that in there, and um, but they're not us. So we're separating who we are from how we feel, 
Um, and that that's that's the separation I, I, I see. And, and I would see your separation of circumstance from our soul as being kind of similar to that. Cause, yeah, because like I said, you know, you, you just can't, people are, are inconsistent. Um, people are, I mean, we can be downright mean and nasty. I mean, look at, look at history, you know, what we've done to each other. Um, and sometimes in the name of God, you know, um, and I think that, I think that when you come to know who Jesus Christ is personally, that's when you start to really be able to, to take him from that non into that. Okay. I hear his, I can hear his voice. I see the things that are happening in front of me that are so obviously not, ah. not a, um, not just a coincidence. You know, I don't believe in coincidence. I never have. Um, even when I didn't know who, who, who Jesus was, um, I don't believe in it. Being an investigator, I've seen things happen. And I go, that was no, that was absolutely no coincidence. Um, the stuff that's happened in my life, over the years, but especially since I've rededicated my life to Jesus Christ, um, just there just couldn't. You know, I mentioned in my book one of the stories of being down there in that small southern town where no one wanted to tell me anything, and I just stopped in a florist shop and went in just to ask for directions because it was pre-internet and pre-GPS, and uh, couldn't find something on a map. And I walked in and the shopkeeper just looked at me and he said, how did you get in here? And I mean, I literally thought he was going to pick me up by my collar and throw me out because they had locked that door, you know, an hour before. Now that might seem fairy ish to somebody else, but they locked that door and several people had come and couldn't get in. But I walked right through that door. You know, it wasn't, I don't believe in those things. That's not coincidence. That's not that that door just happened to unlock itself. That was a big old lock that wasn't a key punch you know we put the numbers in and stuff like that that was a big bolted door and that opened and that gentleman that shopkeeper is what completely opened up my um searching for my birth family if it hadn't been for him i can't tell you that i would have found anything because he started opening up doors for me throughout the years to get information and so those, that's just, you know, one of the things I, you know, I can and talk about the timing of uh, different things happening between my sister, my adopted sister and I, and with her cancer and, and things that went on and, and before she passed away and the things that she was seeing and, and doing. And um, there's, there's, there's palpable, there's, there are things that when you, when your eyes are opened to God, you start to see it. And it's not like being on a drug. It's not, you know, you're not making things up. It's in your face that you start to see it. And, you know, a lot of times I tell people when they say to me, well, what's your first step? And I just say, just talk to them. Just do what I did. Lord, who are you? You know, or God or whoever, you know, show me who you are. And he comes across, you know, he's faithful each time. And I, and I try not to do like church um, language because I can't stand that. I think it's, it can be overbearing sometimes. Yeah. But I want to make sure that people understand that God is not just sitting on a bench somewhere. He's in the game. He's always in the game. And he will, if you ask, he says, if you seek me, I'm right here. I will, you will find me. And it's, it, it has come across and through with that for me over and over and over. And I can attest to that. So, um, 
And I got off on a tangent. What was the question? Yeah. Sorry. Well, I've, I've thought of a better question, um, as I tend to do. Uh, they don't always come easy first time. So you've heard of The Primal Wound, right? The what? Have you heard of the book, The Primal Wound? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm very familiar. Do, do you believe that the soul can be wounded? Oh, oh, that's a that's a hard question. Even though that should be pretty simple, um, I believe that I believe that we. Um, I'm gonna say yes. I believe that it can be wounded. Um, okay. if you because if you don't know God, um, you are opening yourself up for I just a very hard life. I can't imagine living without God. So I would say yeah. You jumped because, in ahead of me. You jump in ahead of me. <laughs> Sorry, <go> ahead. <laughs> so, um, right. So you believe the soul can be wounded. Okay. So uh, I don't use the word soul. Uh, I use the word um, consciousness. Usually I use the word consciousness or, or spirit. And, uh, and and the, es the essence of who we are. Right. And my, uh, my belief is that who we are, is unwoundable. The essence of who we are is unwoundable. Right? But we've got a slight difference of opinion here. And we, well, maybe not actually, because may, I, I'm talking, I'm using the word consciousness and self, and you're using the word soul. So let's, let's I'm interviewing you, so let's go with uh, your wisdom, because that's what we're trying to mine today. So if the soul can be wounded, what's god's role in healing the soul's wound that's absolute forgiveness um and that's i mean that's why he sent jesus christ um it, you know back in oh i don't know can you make it a bit closer to can you make it a bit closer to the because you've gone mega meta and you've been yeah, yeah. bring it a bit closer to adoption uh absolutely so so you you know, for years I was searching. Okay. And I knew quite a few people that were searching. I had come across um, quite a few birth mothers that had given up babies. Um, I came and had come across women that didn't intentionally give up their babies. You know, Dr. Hicks stole those, you know, yes. and sold those. Um, I mean, how much more wounded, you know, can you get than a birth mother that knows she had a child, but it was sold, right? Yeah, but they didn't know at the time, did they? they? Well, a couple of them did. A couple of them heard those babies crying. They just didn't know where it went. And so they went back to try to, to, to Dr. Hicks to try to get them back. And of course, there was nothing, you know, he had already sold the babies. Um, I can pretty much tell you personally um, that if, when I did not know, Jesus, I didn't have the hope when my life was, even when it seemed like it was good and, and I was stable and I was doing what everybody else thought I should be doing and what I felt strong in doing. There was, there was just no, I mean, if you don't have God, what do you have to hope in? And what do you have um, that is consistent there's not a human being on the face of the earth that's going to be there for you 100% because we're human. And we have so many, everybody's got some wounding going on. They're, everyone's souls have just been, you know, have been 
battered um, when it comes to love and when it comes to their circumstance and, you know, mistreatment and the abuse and everything. Um, but God knew that he knew us because he said, there's not one of you that's that, that has a perfect heart. There's not one. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ. That's why he sent this atonement um, for our, for all of this stuff that's happening to us, the battering. Um, I'm going to say it's, it's just the ingrained degenerate sin that came through Adam and that goes into theology. So we won't go into that. But what that comes out and is symptomatic of is all of these things that we get wounded, you know, all the hatred, um, the labels we put on each other, um, the, you know, the saying you love someone when you don't, saying you you hate someone when you shouldn't, um, the all the abandonment stuff, um, all the physical abuse. I mean, everything it comes down to, that's why God sent Jesus Christ. And that is the that's the atonement. That's the beginning of the path for healing. And that is absolutely has borne out true in my life. Okay. In, so yeah. the the way that I talk about this stuff is a, a kind of simple metaphor. So I'm I'm going to put I'm going to ask I'm going to describe the metaphor, and really I'm asking you: is is my metaphor consistent with what you just said? So um, when I were when I found myself uh, believing in the primal wound, um, my world got my world got darker. Okay, so I went. I went further down uh, the trauma tunnel, uh, and and the world got darker. I.e., it lost light. And when the world's dark, when it's getting darker, we bump into things we don't do so well, right? Um, but somebody, luckily, I had some people uh, around me that, or yeah, I, I sought out some people, and they helped me turn around, uh, do a 180 degree revolution in in the in the tunnel so that I could still see the light at the end of the tunnel. So if I was to put that metaphor with what you just said, I would say that uh, Jesus is the light at the end of the tunnel and he's he's the hope and he's drawing me He's the one that's helped me turn around, right, and 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 see him, and move instead of going darker into the trauma, darker into the tunnel where the trauma gets worse, and 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 behave behavior really suffers, right, because we're doing we're we're coming from, uh, we're coming from a place of trauma, uh, that 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 it was God that turned me around and and saw the light at the end of the tunnel. Would that be kind of consistent? with what your approach or I would say it is, you know, that would be, that would basically be God saying, Hey, I have a better way. I have a plan for you. And it's not this, I'm not, I haven't, I haven't put you on this earth to be destroyed. I put you on this earth to have a good life and, yeah. and to be whole. And would God also say that, you, you know, you talked about um, our life being an assignment and funny enough, I heard something very similar yesterday in a, from a, a, a non a non religious spiritual person, right? So somebody that's into understanding consciousness, uh, and you said uh, everything is about serving others. So 
is the 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 next stage of what God is doing or what Jesus is doing or what both of them are doing um, is giving us meaning so our our mess becomes manure for other people to help them grow and we are sharing our lessons I like the so that they learn yeah is is that kind of consistent with that what when you, yeah, put... it's, you know, it's not just even sharing it's it's being there for others you know a word I mean that's one of the things with um you know with serving other people and being there for me I I wish that there were places that people that just when they're having a rough day you know um they could come to a place and they could just sit down and just talk to somebody you know not that it's psychotherapy but just know that there's a community that cares enough for them. Um, you know, with, with my, um, you know, in my career, one of the things that we face is, is suicide. You know, it's, it's a very huge factor in law enforcement. And, um, you know, we have found that if people just know that someone cares, that someone is there and, and just depending on what level they want to interact with you to be able just to listen to them and know that, that they're, that they mean something, you know, and that, I, I just think that's a key piece in, in healing. And um, that's what, I mean, God has put us here to serve each other. He's, he's put us here. Not to have all these beautiful big cars and beautiful houses, um, not to be on TV shows, not to be, um, uh, you know, rich and, you know, in the United States, you know, the big thing is greed, you know, and, and the big thing is who's doing better and keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, how many times, you know, a week you take your kids to the shopping mall and, you know, soccer moms and stuff like that. I think that the key to life is putting God first. And in that he sent the perfect example. And that was through his son that served and gave up everything because he loved us and he did not want us having an eternal life that was just going to be absolutely horrible, which of course, you know, I'm referring to in the gospel, I am referring to hell, which is real. Um, and people aren't, they're just not, they're not serving each other anymore. They're not, um, not always, I'm, I'm saying in general, when I say this, there's not a place for people to go anymore in a community where they can get that support and they can get someone to say, Hey, you know what? You're worth something and God loves you. And he has a plan for you. It's not just about what you're seeing around you right now. It's not this world that's important. It's what it's, it is your soul. That's important. I've heard, um, I've heard adoptive, uh, adoptive parents who are religious quote parts of, the New Testament about um, taking, you know, about adopting children, right? Um, I've not heard it, I've, I've not heard anybody talking about uh, Jesus or his disciples in, you know, in the New Testament referring to adoptees themselves, only adoptive parents like the the um 
I can't. It was in James, I think, and, and I can't. I can't. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you, have you heard any references of? Yes. There, there are some in in the New Testament that are uh, verses. Uh, you know, there are references to adopting, taking in fatherless and motherless kids. Okay. There All right. Um, okay, yeah. But I've not heard any biblical ref references to to us uh, as in to adoptees. Well, Have you heard anything? Have you yeah, seen well, I, mean, anything? I, can't, I can't quote anything right now because I'm not really good at quoting things. Okay. Um, unless I have this stuff written out. But you know, God in in the in the Hebrew and and that it was clearly set out to take care of the widows and the orphans. And then that translated because you had a Hebrew congregation that was messy, they're messianic, basically coming to know who Jesus Christ was after his death and resurrection. And them in Acts, it talks about how they're going to start taking care of the community because they came together as believers in a, in a community. And that was who's going to take care of the widows and orphans. Let's get up this take up, you know, a monetary thing and, and let's make sure that they're taken care of. So it is very clear in that. But you also have to think about when Jesus was on the cross dying, he looked, his mother was at his feet, and he looked to James and said, behold your mother. And he looked at his mother and said, behold your son. So he himself said, I'm going to take care of you. Um, even in my death, I want you to have someone to take care of you. Um, so that maybe that's the reference you're, you're talking about i'm not sure um but he definitely god's word in both the hebrew scriptures and in the new testament says take care of everybody you can't let somebody go off to the side because especially the way society was in that time if you didn't have a husband or you didn't have a son even if you had a daughter but even if you if you didn't have a son you pretty much were were destined for destitute you know to be destitute so yeah you survived so how has God, uh, since you turned back, um, how has God helped you heal? What, what, what has it meant to you? Well, you know, those 14 years, I was on a self-destructive path, you know. Um, you know, no drugs or alcohol or anything like that. But how I um, was self-destructive was just just really not thinking about decisions I was making. And I um, also, I, I had absolutely no regard um, for um, sexual liaisons um, to the point to where it just didn't, I, I didn't think about anything. I just did whatever. And that was the way I was trying to fill a void. And um, that's just one of the worst things that anybody, male or female, can do to themselves because it just, it, it does nothing but destroy you. Um, uh, so he, when I rededicated my life, of course, I just said, okay, now I know what obedience is. Now I'm going to start doing what you want me to do. And he just started speaking to me through some, some different people and then through his word. I mean, you can't at all discount his word. His word is him. He says, I am, I am the word. So the more you get to read and you get in and you start to, to study what his, um, what the Bible says, the Hebrew scriptures, um, you get to know who he is and you start to kind of align with what is what's going to make you whole. And that's um, getting rid of the things that are that are tearing you up. So that was one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect was uh, 
Yeah. I was no longer, um, my, my view had changed, you know, he was back in my life and, um, I was ready to do whatever he wanted me to do. And, um, there's just a piece I, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard for me to explain, um, cause I will go off on a tangent, but there's, there's just this piece that once you in, invite him in and say, okay, I, I know that you're God. Not only do I know that you're God, um, and you're my savior. I now I, I want to, I want to, to follow you and be as much like you as I can. And, um, to, to be in love with you basically. And that's for men and for women. Um, there's just this piece. You know, um, I, you know, I watched my sister um, who had spent her life um, with the same atheist and the same woman that was ashamed to go to church. And um, she was a Wiccan at one time. She was uh, an atheist. And then she ended up as an agnostic. Um, she was, you know, she had gone through the trauma of a forced abortion when she was, I think, right at the 14 year with from my adoptive parents. Um were embarrassed that she was pregnant and, and took her at the seven month mark um, and was forced into, into doing labor and giving up that baby. And, you know, the baby obviously didn't make it. Um, she went through her life just basically crawling because of that trauma that had never been dealt with and the pain that she, you know, went through. I watched her life completely change around, you know? And, and I remember her saying to me when I rededicated my life, I remember talking to her on the phone and I said, you know, Michelle, you know, maybe it's time that you tried Jesus. And she said, oh, Jamie, that works for you. You know, that's not going to work for me. And I said, all right, just promise me you'll keep your heart, your heart open and your mind open, you know, to, to hear the gospel. And um, she says, yeah, okay. You know, she's laughing and she gets off the phone, but um, it wasn't that much longer, probably like within a year that she accepted Christ and man, she just, she went from being, and she was, and she was battling cancer. She was terminal. And, um, she got a piece about her and three months before she passed away. She accepted Christ and she was like, I'm good. This is like the best thing that's ever, this is, this is it for me. This is, I, why, why did it take me so long? And just watching her and what happened in her life. Um, like I said, some of these things, you know, it's not a, it's not a, just a feeling. I mean, you see things happening in people's lives. You see the change in their life. Um, and they go from being broken into, even if their circumstances are still hard. And because Jesus doesn't have a wand that he puts over your life when you follow him saying it's all going to be roses because it's not. Usually it becomes more challenging. But in the challenge, you have peace. And you find love that's beyond anything that you'll ever be able to understand because it just keeps coming through. Um, in this world that is just such a mess, it just keeps coming through. And um, I think that's that's where the healing is. That's that's where you see it. When you see other people's lives change, you know, I've told, you know, in interviews, people have asked me, you know, what I think of the reunification, you know, process and stuff. And I said, it's the best thing to watch people re reunite, even if, they don't stay together or it, maybe it's a little uncomfortable, but you see a peace. And I think when you're able to see peace in people's lives, um, that's healing for me, even though it's not all about me, it still, it still is a healing because you know that someone has, is feeling whole.
and and are closer to whole whole when they come to know who Jesus Christ is. So wow. that answer. That I think question. so. Um, is there any? I'm just conscious of time. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that we've not touched? Um. Yeah, you know, I, I just. Uh, Of course, I'm always going to say, you know, to, to anybody that's listening, um, no matter what your experience has been with people that were religious or if you had a religious background, it's not about a church. It's about Jesus and it's about a personal relationship with him. And that's where it's at. And nobody can tell you better than him. And um, I guess that's what I would want everybody to know. And in that, uh, that's where the healing is. You know, if, if someone's struggling with whatever trauma they've been through, he's got a plan, you know, just give it to him and, and he'll take it. And, and cause he loves you. So I don't know if I said that enough. I think I probably said that. Yeah. A whole so. Are there, um, just a, a random question. Are, are there any groups of kind of, uh, Christian adoptees that you've come across? Um, so I, House of Ruth um, is one, but I'm not exactly sure how um, I can look them up. I can send you some some information. Um, you know, a, a lot of the churches actually facilitate um, adoptions. Now, I am an open adoption advocate. I don't, I do not advocate for closed adoptions. I believe that it should be um, everybody should be allowed to heal and that includes the birth parents and that includes the adoptive parents. Um, you know, adoption is, it, it comes out of, it comes out of loss. Everybody's lost something. The adoptee has lost their history and, uh, their, their genetic, you know, information, the adopt. Adoptive parents usually have lost their fertility at one point or another, for the most part. And then the birth parents, I mean, they've lost what was theirs, you know, and that includes the, that includes the birth father. Um, so open adoption, I feel, is the best way if it's done correctly, if it's done with a safety net and everybody knows what they're getting into um, for the safety of the child. So, um, yeah. But the, I've never come across, I, I'm, I'm aware that churches uh, facilitate uh, adoption, uh, I've never come across anything like uh, Christian adults, you know, like churches supporting adult adoptees or anything like that as a specific group. And I was just wondering whether you'd um, come across, but I, I, I'm big into this House of Ruth. And we'll, we'll take it yeah, down. I haven't, but that, that doesn't mean that I won't be starting one myself yeah. um, because I uh, work with women's ministry and I feel like they need a community and, that includes that includes people that have been through what the adoption experience. So, um, but yeah. so no, I can't. Okay. Specifically, right now, so no. So, uh, as usual, listeners, uh, check out the show notes uh, for a link to to Jane's um, website and a book, um, which goes into the this whole story of this these Hicks clinic and being sold. Um, and yeah, thank you for coming on the, the show. I've really enjoyed being stretched, um, 
look, looking at uh, taking a religious lens to uh, healing, but I think it kind of come. I kind of thought it would be consistent. Most of the stuff would be consistent with where I, my thinking, and it just it comes in a different, in, in a different. So it, I don't say anything to really uh, to to challenge it. I think that I think one of the things is that um, uh, some people, if they've had a bad adoption experience, then obviously they tend to, and the church has been involved, then they're going to be blaming the church. Um, and, uh, but that's a whole different, that's a whole different topic. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely different topic because one of the first questions that comes to me um, is, you know, if God's so good, then why did he let this happen to me? And uh, that's a that's a tough question, but but there is an answer. And um, that is definitely something that people need to, to work out one on one with somebody or um, to, yeah, that is definitely a, another conversation yeah. that we could have hours on. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Jane. And thank you to listeners. Uh, if you've got to the end of it, clearly it had some interest to you and uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks a lot, Jane. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.